So we're going to pick up on uh, Philippians, and we're in chapter one of uh, this letter from Paul to the Philippians. Uh, last week we were looking again at Paul's prayer, Philippians 1, 9 to 11. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you're, you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I want to pick up now on uh, verse 12 onwards of chapter 1 as Paul continues this letter from prison in Rome to the church in Philippi to these believers. Uh, This thank you letter that he's sending with Epaphroditus, who he's sending back to them with news of Paul's, uh, how Paul is getting on. So let's read on from uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 onwards. Now I want you to know, uh, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. May God speak to us through his word. It's a rich, rich passage full of uh, theology, full of uh, stuff that we can look at today. I want to I draw out a few thoughts from this passage today. I want to look at Paul's deep commitment to the praise of God uh, that we see throughout his letters. His deep commitment to, the, to, to God and to Jesus being glorified, to being praised. I want to look at his deep trust in the purposes of God. I want to look at how he trusts 
uh, God and his ultimate purposes in his life. I want to look at his deep belief in prayer uh, that pervades this uh, letter from start to finish. It is saturated in prayer. I want to look at his deep confidence in the provision of the Holy Spirit that he outlines here. And I want to look at his deep joy. This is a letter of joy right from start to finish. Uh, Paul writes about joy uh, and uh, expresses his joy in the Lord and his hope that also that these believers will rejoice in their life circumstances. So the first thing that I want to draw out is is his deep commitment, Paul's deep commitment to the praise and the glory of God. We looked at this last week, didn't we, that this was ultimately the end goal. We started with the end and we, we said that Paul was ultimately looking for the praise and the glory of God. Everything he does, everything he writes, everything he lives, he's, he's looking that God would be glorified. It, we, we read in verses 9 to 11 uh, uh, about his prayer um, for the love that would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that they would be able to approve what was best, that they would be able to grow in the fruit of righteousness. And all of this, he says, all of this to the praise and the glory of God. And then what Paul is doing here as well is um, he's imprisoned, and so he speaks many times of his chains and what's happened to me, and these chains that I find myself in. He's chained to uh, the Praetorian guards, to the Roman guards in Rome, and he's writing this letter in chains. And uh, he he says that um, even through this imprisonment, that, that something is happening in these negative circumstances. He, he writes to them, he says, I want you to know, dear friends, Philippian believers, I want you to know that actually what is happening to me is advancing the gospel. I want you to know that through my chains, this gospel that I've been preaching, that we preach, that we believe, it's spread throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, throughout the whole Guard of Caesar, throughout, throughout Rome, this message of the gospel. People know that I am in chains because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And, and also, he says, I also want you to know, as he's sending Epaphroditus to them with this letter, I also want you to know, in your concerns for me, that what's happening to me is also emboldening and giving courage to the other believers in Rome who are now also preaching the gospel with extra courage, uh, with extra belief, with extra strength, because they see what I'm going through and they're imitating my faith and my strength. So Paul says, on the outside, it looks bad. I'm here in jail. I'm in prison. I'm in chains. It's not looking good. My freedom is gone. But actually, I want you to know that the gospel is advancing, the gospel is being preached, people are being emboldened, stuff is happening below the surface. And the great thing is, he says, is that God is being glorified in all of this. And then he goes on to say, and he says, I also want you to know that actually some people in Rome are preaching this message of the gospel in a way that is out of selfish ambition and rivalry. They're actually preaching with poor motives. They're actually preaching with a kind of a level of deception. And some people are preaching in a way that they're trying to cause me trouble, Paul says. They're trying to stir up people against me. They're trying to cause me difficulty. And, uh, and they're doing so in a way that brings out their own ambition and their own rivalry. And, uh, and, but but Paul, Paul says, but I don't, I don't care. <laughs> 
Because he says the main thing is, and he says this in verse 19, he says, do you know what the main thing is? He said the main thing is, is that Christ is preached. And that's what I really care about, Paul says. The main thing I really care about is that Christ is preached, that Jesus is glorified. And sometimes people do it out of the wrong motives, they have the wrong hearts, uh, they do the wrong things, but out of, out of this, Christ is preached, Paul says, and that is the main thing, and I am so pleased that that's happening. If I look at Paul, and somebody had written to me and said, how are you doing? Or I was sending a message with Epaphroditus, and you know, how are things going in Rome? It'd be like, well, not so good, actually. You know, I'm in prison, I, I, can't, I can't travel, I can't, I can't visit the churches, I can't, I can't do hardly anything, my freedom is restricted. And then there's loads of people out there that are causing trouble, they're stirring up, even though they're preaching, they're trying to cause us trouble in the church, and uh, they're trying to uh, cause dissent. And, uh, but Paul's having none of it, because, because Paul's ultimate guide, his ultimate plumb line, his ultimate kind of compass is, is Jesus being glorified? Is Jesus being praised? Is Jesus being preached? Is Jesus being proclaimed? Is Jesus being lifted up? And he said, if, if he is, then I'm happy. Because that is what my life is about. Remember last week we said that the chief end of man, according to that Puritan catechism, the chief end, the main purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, to be those Christian hedonists. And so Paul has this deep commitment to the praise and the glory of God. It goes beyond him. It goes beyond his calling. It goes beyond his ability to travel. It goes beyond his education. All of these things have been stripped away from him, but what really counts for Paul, if you cut him in half, if you look at the core of his life, he said the main thing is, is that Christ is glorified, that Jesus is preached, that people come to know him uh, and, and experience him. And that is the main thing. And then he says, he says, so I'm in prison, first of all, but don't worry, the gospel is still being preached. Jesus is still being glorified. And, he said, there's these impersonators, these prosperity gospel preachers that are causing me a whole heap of trouble, but don't worry, because Christ is being preached. And then he, he goes on as well uh, and, and expounds even more about what is happening to him. And he said they, uh, in verses uh, 20 to 21, he says also, uh, my trial is coming up uh, before Caesar. I'm, I'm going to be tried for this proclamation of the Christian faith. And he said, I don't quite know what's going to happen. Uh, it could be life. It could be death. I could be executed for my faith. He said, I, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. But he said, the main thing is, in verses 20 and 21, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. Uh, and I will have sufficient courage so that now as always... And this is his ultimate aim. Now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ, and if I die, I gain. And Paul is, is looking down the barrel of these circumstances. He's in prison. He's got people stirring up trouble for him. He's isolated, and now he's waiting for this Roman tribunal, this, this court case that's coming up. And he doesn't know which way it's going to go, and he doesn't even know if he's going to live or die. But he said the main thing, the most important thing, is that Christ is exalted in my body. And so if I live, Christ will be praised. If I die, Christ will be exalted. The main thing, Paul says, is whether I live or die is Christ. 
the main thing is that Christ is exalted and glorified through me. So we, we see through Paul's letter, and we see just coming out of his pores, out of his, out of his very existence, there are all of these circumstances that would sideswipe most of us, if we're honest, if we were in them. Uh, and yet Paul is just beats with the heart of Christ. He beats with the gospel. And as we said in the first week that in this hundred and odd verses, Christ appears 60 times plus, or the pronoun for Christ. It, it's just so Jesus-centric what Paul is doing here. And he said the main thing is, the main thing is through my body, in my body. The main thing is through my preaching. The main thing is even through poorly motivated and the selfish ambition and vain conceit of, of our opponents, the main thing is that Christ is exalted and Christ is glorified and Christ is, is lifted up and Christ is preached. And that is the main thing. And that remains our main thing. Do you know that, church? As it remains our main thing that Christ is preached, that Christ is glorified, that the gospel goes forth. I want to show you a little video uh, that we're coming up to Alpha. You've You've all had these cards on your, on your seats this morning, and uh, it, it says that we've got an Alpha course starting on the 23rd of February, which is just a couple of weeks away. And um, on the back it says, ask some of the questions that people ask as they look into this Alpha course, this exploration of the Christian faith. What is my purpose? What happens when we die? Does God exist? And uh, it highlights this course um, what the Christian faith is all about. And the main thing is, is that Christ is preached. The main thing is, is that the gospel goes forth. I want to show you a little video now that just talks about maybe inviting someone, thinking what we can do with these, thinking about the main thing, which is that Jesus is exalted, that people are introduced to him, that the gospel is preached. Let's, let's watch this together now. We all have that person in our lives. That neighbor we pass by every day outside our homes. That coworker we see at the office five days a week. Or those friends we catch up with every once in a while. People we wish could know and experience the love of God. How do we share it? Where do we even start? Deep inside, we know that it'll cost us something to open up our lives and share our faith. It takes time, vulnerability, sacrifice, the risk of rejection. But this is our call, to open our lives and to share Christ with the people close to us. Because it's only through opening your life up that spaces for honest conversations are possible. Spaces where people can truly be themselves and explore the deepest parts of life with people they know and trust. That's why we're running Alpha. It's a course over several weeks where you can invite your friends to explore life's biggest questions over a meal. It's a chance for you to invite that person into an honest conversation about faith. Because when it's hard to find the moment, or the words, or the courage, you can simply invite. Alpha, who will you invite? So our Alpha starts in a couple of weeks' time. We're not doing full-on meals this time, but we're doing coffee and we're doing cake and we're doing it in the building this time. We've been doing some online Alpha during the pandemic, but this is an opportunity 
And I guess we've all got people like that in our lives, don't we? Our neighbor that we walk past every day, uh, that colleague at work that we work alongside, that person that we see or spot. We might want to pray for them. We might want to just invite them. We might just want to ask. That's our job. That's uh, what we're called to do. And that was Paul's beating heart as he writes to these Philippian uh, believers is that, is that Jesus, Jesus will be preached. He said that's the main thing. The gospel advances. So don't be discouraged, Philippians. You might have heard bad things. You might have heard that we're struggling in Philippi or in Rome or that I'm imprisoned or that things are not going well. But actually the gospel is advancing and Christ is being preached. Paul had a deep commitment to the praise and the glory of God, pervades his writing, his speaking, his living. And, uh, and we can have the same. The second thing that I see in this passage is that he has a deep trust in the purposes of God. Whether things, things ever turn out for you the way that you think they might not turn out, or things don't quite pan out the way that you'd expect it, um, or, or circumstances transpire against you, or uh, you're served a curveball into your life that you weren't expecting, a sickness, a bereavement, a loss. And sometimes we look at life and we look at what comes down the road at us. We look at the season we find ourselves in. And we, and we think, what is God doing? Where are his purposes? What is happening to me? Why is this happening to me? But what I see in Paul, even in the, what we would think are dark and difficult circumstances, is a deep trust in the purposes of God. When he writes to these Philippians, he says, remember in verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, I, I just know that what God has started in you, he will, he will finish it. He will carry it on in, unto completion. I just know that God's got a purpose in your life. And I know that the faith that was instilled in you, uh, we said, didn't we, Lydia, the, the businesswoman and uh, the, pr the prison guard and the slave girl delivered from demonic oppression and all those other believers in Philippi. Paul says, I have a confidence that the work that God has started in you, he's going to finish it. He's got a purpose for your life. And uh, he, he also, as, as we've been outlining in verses 12 to 14, he also says there's a purpose to his imprisonment. He said, even though I'm in these chains, everything that is happening to me, it's somehow, it's advancing the gospel. The whole Praetorian Guard has heard about this Christ, this Jesus that I preach. They've seen me in chains, they've seen what I'm doing here, and the gospel is advancing. And also, the purpose of God is being established in the church in Philippi, because people are getting courage and faith to stand up and preach the gospel. So stuff is happening. The purposes of God are prevailing, even in what seem to be very, fairly dark circumstances. And, then, and as we've been looking, he says, even though there are these rival preachers and these uh, ambitious and selfish characters, Christ is being preached. His purposes are prevailing. Jesus said, didn't he, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He said, I'm going to build my church, and nothing will stop the building of my church. People have tried to stop the church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages. The, the communists tried to shut the church down. The Nazis tried to shut the church down. People throughout the ages have tried to close down the church and shut down the work of God, but they have never prevailed because Jesus said, my church will prevail. My gospel will be preached. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. So Paul had this deep sense of confidence that what God was doing would happen, that his purposes would prevail. 
And then he says, in verses 18 to 20, he says, because of this I rejoice, and I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. The word there is soteria, which is also translated salvation. He says, I know that what has happened to me will turn out for my salvation, that God will save me in the end, that God will deliver me from these circumstances. Uh, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, uh, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether in life or death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He had a sense of the purpose of God prevailing. And I want you to know, he said to these believers who are probably worrying about him and as Epaphroditus brings news of Paul and Rome and everything that's happening, I want you to know that, 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 that it's going to turn out for my deliverance. This is the same Paul who wrote to the Roman believers and wrote with such conviction. And he said, look, we know, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Paul had this deep inner conviction that everything works for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Ultimately, everything will come to their salvation and ultimately everything will come to their deliverance. And if that doesn't look like it is so at the moment in your life, then you've not seen the end of the story yet. For God will bring this to my deliverance. God will bring salvation out of these circumstances. Paul had a deep conviction and a deep held belief as he wrote to the Philippians and as he wrote to the Romans that the purposes of God would prevail. And, but he also had a, a trust in this. So in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, he says, whatever happens. So he's not predicting what's going to happen He's not sure what's going to happen with this trial that's coming down the line. He's not sure how things are going to pan out. This isn't a kind of a blind optimism. But he says, whatever happens, whatever transpires, I just know that God is going to do something in these circumstances. So we see a man here as he writes. We see a man who has a deep commitment to the praise and the glory of God. Just That's the main thing for Paul. The main thing is that the gospel is preached that the gospel advances, that Christ is preached. We see also a deep trust in the purposes of God, that whatever happens, it will turn out for my deliverance. And the same is true for you and for me. But he also has a deep belief in prayer, doesn't he? As we've watched him from start to finish of this letter, he, he prays. Prayer is the first word. It's the first resort, not the last, for Paul. We, we started this chapter, chapter 1, where Paul talks about his praying, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion. And then in verses 9 to 11, uh, last week we were thinking about, and this is my prayer, that you would abound in love and knowledge and depth of insight. And then in verse 19, he says, he says this, I, I know, I'm going to keep on rejoicing because I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to prevail. I know that you're praying for me, Philippian believers, and I know that your prayers will make a difference. 
So I know, he says, Paul, I know I, I'm confident of this. I have this solid hope that through your prayers and through the help of the Holy Spirit, things are going to turn out okay. And then, in, uh, of course, in kind of the pivotal verses of chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, uh, kind of one of the very well-known passages of Paul. Don't be anxious about anything, he says, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through and in Christ Jesus. Paul believes in prayer. His, his letter starts with prayer. His letter ends with prayer. As he finishes up his letter to the Philippians, he finishes by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. He prays at the start. He prays in the middle. He prays at the end. He prays in prison. And he asks them to pray for him. And he knows that their prayers are making a difference. And we are called also to prevail in prayer like this because prayer makes a difference. It really does. So he has a deep uh, belief in prayer but he also believes and has great confidence in the provision provided by the help of the Holy Spirit. Look what he, look what he says there. He says in verse 19, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, will turn out for my salvation. Paul believes in the provision or the help of the Holy Spirit. He says these two things are going to help me get through this. He said it's your prayers and it's, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit, the provision of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said, didn't he, in, in Luke chapter 12, verses um, 11 to 12, he said, he said these words to his followers while he was still on the earth. He said, when you are brought to trial, like Paul is now being brought to trial, before rulers and authorities, which is what's happening to Paul, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Jesus said, you're going to be brought up in front of rulers and authorities, uh, but don't worry, the Holy Spirit will tell you and teach you what to say. I'm sure Paul was thinking of these words of Jesus as he wrote this letter and then in John chapter 14, uh, verses 16 to 18, as Jesus kind of gave his final talk to, uh, to his, uh, his followers, he promised them, didn't he? He promised them and us the work and the comfort and the presence and the partnership of the Holy Spirit. So he said, I will ask the Father, he will give you another, another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus promised. He promised his disciples that when they had to speak out, and when they had to go to these kind of trials and through these persecutions, he said the Spirit of God will help you, will speak through you, will speak to you. And then as he's speaking to his disciples, he says, I'm leaving, I have to go now to my father, but don't worry, I'm going to leave you another comforter, another counsellor, the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus Christ, and he will help you. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to help you by my spirit. And so when Paul is sitting here in a, in a Roman prison, in chains, and he's looking at his circumstances, 
he can say, I, I have this deep confidence that through your prayers and through the provision of God's Holy Spirit, what has happened to me will turn out for my soteria, my salvation, my deliverance. He has a deep confidence in the provision and the work of the Holy Spirit. This was the same Paul who, when he was preaching, he wasn't always the most persuasive. Sometimes he spoke in a way that was, some would say, stuttering or not particularly convincing, not great oratory or great rhetoric. And he wrote to the Corinthians once, and he said to them, he said, when I was with you, I was weak. I was afraid. I shook. But what I had to say when I preached was not in, in, in big-sounding words of man's wisdom, but it was given to me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you have faith in Christ because of the power of God. This was the same Paul who, when he went to witness to people, to give them an alpha invitation of his day, to go down to the river and to talk to those people who were about their business, he had a confidence that the Holy Spirit would help him. It says that the Spirit of God, that Jesus opened their hearts to believe what Paul was saying to them. Paul knew he was in partnership with the Holy Spirit, as are we. And whatever you are facing, uh, we can say the same confident things, that we have the Spirit of Christ in us. It's not by might or by power, but by the Spirit of God. The same promises to the disciples are the same promises to us, that Jesus won't leave us alone, but will empower us with his Holy Spirit. We are not orphans. We are empowered by the Spirit of God. We can have the same confidence in the provision of the Spirit of God. So when you talk to your friends about Christ or whether you face that situation at work that you're going into that is so troubling you at the moment, you can know that you can have with you and in you the power of Christ, the comfort and the help of the Holy Spirit to help you and to give you wisdom. There will be times perhaps where you need to speak, where you need to write, where you need to go up in front of authorities and you can have the same confidence as Paul that the Spirit of God will help you and speak through you and empower you. Because we have the same Spirit of God is in us that was in Paul, that was in these Philippian believers. And so I see this man and I see his circumstances. And I see a man who has, who has deep commitment to whatever happens in my life, I want Jesus Christ to be glorified and to be praised. It just is right through his letter. And so you can strip away from Paul his books. You can strip away from him his, his teachings, his freedom, his travel, his church planting, his ministry, his tent making. You can take it all away. And Paul says, it doesn't matter because for me, it's, it's like dung. It's like rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. He said, I don't care why people are preaching Christ as long as Christ is being preached. I don't care if I'm in prison as long as this gospel is advancing. Because all I really care about, whether I live or whether I die, is that Jesus is glorified in my body. And I can consider it a great privilege to suffer for him and with him. Because all I want to know is Christ. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. So that I might attain somehow to the same thing in life or in death. So Paul is just so committed to the praise and the glory of God. He's so trusting in the purposes of God. And it gives us comfort as well in whatever circumstances we face that God's purposes will prevail even when it doesn't look that way. 
And there is a deep belief in prayer and an underlining pervasive prayer that Paul prays, that the Philippians pray, pray, and he thinks it will make a material difference in his life and in the outcome of his court case. He said, I really am trusting that through your prayers, Philippian believers, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to come through this. And he, he also has a deep confidence in that provision of the Spirit of God. And all of this, all of that, leads to a deep joy. <laughs> a deep joy that just flows from start to finish in this letter, where Paul's joy is just, it's beyond belief. It's unspeakable joy. It's inexpressible joy. It's irrational joy in some ways. Why would you be joyful when you're in Paul's circumstances? Why would we be joyful as Christian believers when we're facing difficult or challenging circumstances? And yet look at Paul and look at his joy. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Look at uh, verses 18 to 19 of chapter 1. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. And look at verse 26 of chapter 1. So that through my being with you again, your, your joy in Jesus Christ will overflow on account of me. And look at chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. And look at chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Joy is around every corner of this letter. And I'd like to say to you this morning, it's not that we minimize or deny suffering or that we explain it away. It's not that it doesn't count or it isn't real or that we can't just smile it away with some spiritual bromide. But wouldn't it be great if, like Paul, we could stare down the barrel of life-threatening circumstances, of human evil and cruelty, of selfishness and conceit, of the most difficult and trying of circumstances, the greatest of losses and the deepest of bereavements, those things that keep us awake at night and say with confidence and boldness and joy, there's so much joy in this letter from prison, this will all turn out for my deliverance and for my salvation. Wouldn't it be great if we too could have a deep commitment to the praise and the glory of God, a deep trust in the ultimate purposes of God in our lives, a deep belief in the power of prayer to change things, a deep confidence in the provision and the help and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and because of all of this, a deep, deep joy so that we can say, all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. And whatever your personal chains might be, we can look for ways like Paul, in which the gospel might be advanced through them, and his amazing grace might live its way out through our being, so that in life or in death, Christ would be magnified in our bodies and in our lives. All of this, Paul says, it's all for the praise and the glory of God. That's all I care about. You can take away everything else. You can take away my life. 
You can take away my health. You can take away my freedom. You can take it all away, but you can't take away Christ from me. And we uh, sing, don't we? There is, no, there is no guilt in life. There is no power in death that can ever pluck us from Christ's hands. There's nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. <laughs> nothing. So whatever we go through, whatever we face, whatever we look at today, whatever is challenging us or keeping us awake, I say to you again this morning, like Paul, with this deep sense of joy, all will be well, all will be well, all manner of things will be well. We're going to sing this song in a moment about God's amazing grace. And my chains fell off. Whatever our chains are, my heart is free. And uh, so we're going to sing that in a moment. Let's pray. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is truth, and your spirit, who is life, and who lives in us. And Lord, we come to you this morning. I pray uh, for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray for those listening online. We pray collectively for those that don't yet know you, Lord, those who we rub shoulders with day by day. We pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts and their minds to the gospel. We pray that the main thing would be that Christ is preached and proclaimed and glorified in our midst. We pray that you would be glorified in us, in this church and through this people. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue to do the work that you have started amongst us. And Lord, we pray that um, whatever is taken away from us, the dearest of things, the greatest of losses, the most challenging of circumstances, we pray, God, that we do ultimately know that nothing can separate us from Christ. Nothing ever. And so Paul could say, I, if I live, then it's Christ. If I die, it's Christ. I get to be with Christ. I get to live with Christ. Nothing will ever take that away from me. He, he got hold of me on that road to Damascus. And now I'm going to press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I've not already obtained it. I've not already got a hold of it. But I, I'm going to keep on going and pressing on uh, to, to take hold of that and to obtain that for which Christ has taken hold of my life. I thank you for this deep, deep, deep joy, God that wells up from Paul like an artesian well. God, nothing can take it away. Nothing can shake it. And I pray that would be our reality, God. Not that we minimize suffering. Not that we overlook it or, 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 or say it's not serious or difficult. But God, we know that ultimately you are with us and that ultimately you will cause salvation and deliverance to come to us and to our households. And so God, we... We can trust in you. We can trust in your purposes. We can say in verse 27 with Paul, whatever happens, whatever happens, I know this will turn out to my soterium, my salvation, my deliverance. And God, we want to have the same trust, the same commitment to your glory and your praise. We want to say the same thing, Lord. The main thing is that Christ is preached and glorified amongst us. 
We ask that you would cause this to happen by the prayers of your saints and by the power of your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.